Hello, my fellow sovereigns. So you know those moments when you hear somebody speak and you're like, I need to know that human. I, I, I don't know what it is about them, but I need to know that person. And this is exactly how I felt about Lynn Casey. She is the founder of Shine Scout, a highly sought-after trend expert, consumer scientist, brand builder, and futurist committed to helping industry-leading organizations unlock the deep human insights that inspire innovation. I first was introduced to Lynn when I was at an Elevate masterclass that rocked my freaking world. She was teaching on the seven trends that are now coming up in the future, obviously, because we're going into the future, but the seven trends that are industry-shifting trends. And here's the beautiful thing that I love about what Lynn specifically does and what she dives into deeper on this podcast, because she does talk about what industries have been affected, several of which were directly impacting my clients' industries. And that is the beauty of what Lynn does is that, and also Lynn's mindset around it. Because the thing is, is that sometimes in times of change, things can feel so scary. It can feel daunting to have to pivot. I mean, we all experience this in 2020, especially if you had a brick and mortar business or especially if you had a business that required in-person events in some way, you had to pivot to survive. And the beautiful thing that I love about the work that Lynn does is that no longer is this necessarily coming from a fear-based survival mindset of what do I do to just keep my doors open. With listening to this podcast, listen for the innovation that you can apply to what you're doing right now. Because here's the thing, what you are doing and what your business is doing right now ideally will not be exactly the same thing that your business is doing five years from now, 10 years from now. It's up to us as the leaders of our business, of the leaders of these missions that we are leaning into in our lives to operate with the vision and the innovation to turn our gaze from the fear-based reactionary mindset, which we dive into on this podcast, and to lean into that future vision of what is it that you want to create and how do you go about creating the level of income and impact that you deserve. And being able to look at future trends and not see them as some doomsday preparation thing that you need to go get into your bunker for, but to see them as, okay, this is how my industry is pivoting. How can I adapt? How can I adapt my products? How can I adapt my service? How can I adapt how I provide my customers with my service? To be able to be thinking with longevity in mind for your business instead of just the short term of what you're dealing with right now. This is a major, major shift from thinking from five figures to six, seven, and eight figures. And this is a massive mindset difference that I have seen is that the six, seven, and eight-figure entrepreneurs, they are operating with vision and constant and never-ending innovation, which is what is required in this day and age. So sit back, Get out your pen, get out your notes, and as you're going through this podcast episode, as you're listening to this, have the question in the back of your mind, how can I apply this to my business? What do I need to innovate given this information? What can I innovate? Can it be my customer service? Can it be my products, my services? What can I innovate with this information? And with that being said... I give you the amazing Lynn Casey. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, 
strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. All right. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. Lynn Casey, I am so excited to have you here. I just remember when you gave your Elevate uh, presentation and your masterclass, I was in awe and super excited to get to chat with you, and I had to bring you onto the show. So I would love to dive in on what there's a lot of fear happening right now in the world. And I know that with a lot of fear, there can come this almost the feeling like what, what's possible? Like what's, what's next? What's actually going to be happening next? And so how can we, with, with the futurism, with the predictions that you've been able to make and on the trends, mm-hmm. what are the trends that you're seeing that we can really have some hope in for 2021 and beyond? Mm-hmm. Great question, Kimberly. And yes, it, it's, it is amazing uh, to see how quickly we shifted from the glee of, you know, if we all go back to January 2020, where we're like crafting, not just like our usual one year resolutions, but like we, we had a fresh decade in front of us. And, and even more than that, 2020, I mean, doesn't that mean like we get extra central, you know, perception, like, didn't that mean we were going to see everything? Uh, and, and how quickly that changed from, you know, heady, almost giddy optimism to fear. So it's, it's a real and valid thing. And I think, first of all, we all have to sit in community and say, we're all experiencing it. It's not just you, right? The world is experiencing it. But, but what's so exciting to me is that we are actually standing at the precipice of some of the, the greatest industries empires, businesses that are going to be built, like literally in this century. And we know this because if you look at any time in history, when we have stood on on these sort of like cliffs of dramatic change, right? So end of World War II or the depression or the industrial revolution, when a million people said, well, what does this mean for me? There's no future for me. There has been the most incredible dramatic shifts in, in human being, in commerce, in industry, um, in all the things. So I would encourage your listeners to remember that the word chaos just means void. It just means there's an empty space that's gonna allow us to go in and shape it any way we want. Um, all the rules are, are all, all the bets are off. All the rules have already been broken. So we actually get to visualize and actualize our dreams. I mean it kind of doesn't get better than this. And I know there's been a lot of suffering and a lot of pain, but I, for one, am quivering with anticipation about what's to come. You and I are on the same page with that because like I am the amount of innovation that I'm already seeing happening in industries that were like dinosaurs to change, like higher education, like theater, like you know, these, these massive industries of like, how do we bring this into common, like into more tangible, like hands? How can we bring this so that people are actually participating in it and still interested in going so that these industries can survive? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think the amount of innovation that's happening in these days is, is huge. And what is happening for humanity is amazing in so many ways so what what industries have you seen the greatest trend toward toward innovation so i want to start with two of the tent poles um that i see that i see sort of driving change for all industries right so one and you've heard me talk about this you know we're coming out of so what we saw post-recession was the the birth of the trust economy, the sharing economy, right? So we had Uber and Airbnb, and we had all these businesses that were based on, I'm gonna trust you. Kimberly, you're gonna pick me up in your car and I look you up and I trust you. And you, Kimberly, are gonna stay in my house in Los Angeles because you've looked it up and you know, you trust me. And that whole sharing economy, you know, came out of sheer economic necessity. Like 
you couldn't afford to stay in a hotel and I didn't want to buy a car. Like there were all these reasons that we had to create this new way of doing business. And that new path, that new system has led to hundreds of billions of dollars worth of industry. You know, Airbnb is looking at an IPO of, you know, untold billions of dollars at this point. So where are we today? Well, what we are on the cusp of is what I'm calling the new values economy, right? And value not meaning uh, 10 lemons for a dollar. Value meaning what is your purpose? What do you stand for? What is your mission? So all of a sudden, every single company is like, whoa, I have to actually have integrity. I actually have to show up with a sense of greater mission than just you know commercial exchange. So they're aware of this and they're trying to understand what that means. That is going to give birth to access to people like you, like me, women, minorities, um, people who really understand like a local economy because they have to sit back and go, we can't just have this sort of universal proposition. Our proposition has to be personal. And in order to be personal, we have to talk to people whose ears are on the ground, right? So that's a massive shift I'm seeing right now with all of my Fortune 100 clients is they're sitting and stopping and talking to individual consultants who represent these different segments of the population that they actually need to sit back and listen to. So this values economy, who, who am I? What is my purpose? What is my mission in the world? What's the greater good that I'm doing? Um, that's a massive shift. And then the other tentpole is Local X, I'm calling it, um, and that is not a sex shop. Local X, it's, it's like localism to the extreme. So we all heard sort of, there's been a lot of lip service given to this idea of, oh, you know, people are really interested in localism and local war, but it has shifted dramatically. We all right now, as a result of this pandemic, want to celebrate and support businesses that we know right? That represent a human being who's making the jewelry, who's serving the food, who's coaching clients, who's teaching exercise classes online, right? I want to give that person money, you know, not Equinox Global. I want to support people who I can understand as a human being. What is their human quotient, right? And how are they touching communities, small communities of people? And this is a trend I started to see five or six years ago, just with Gen Z, with this youngest population who has trust issues come up because they were babies of the recession comma. But now, because of what we're all going through, we really want to galvanize around local businesses, local entrepreneurs, right? The mom who has a side hustle, that's really compelling to us. So those two temples really support each other, don't they? You know, the values economy and this sort of extreme localism. So these are the biggest radical tentpole shifts that I'm seeing across every single industry. Amazing. I love, I love the values economy and, and the local, the local businesses, because I've seen more and more posts this Christmas than I've ever mm -hmm. seen before about like, Hey, I want, I want to buy from people who are following me on Instagram for Christmas. Like, I don't want to just go to Target and buy some random junk. Like, I want to buy something that's personal, something that's going to actually directly affect a life, be able to put food on your table, be able to, you know, give you value and in exchange have value so that I can give to others. Like, there is definitely that that value of service that I'm seeing rise and, and collaboration as well. Mm -hmm. Like, like, more businesses collaborating and and joining forces in this values-based economy rather than like this this harsh competition that's kind of how it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. So can you speak into what collaboration is and how we can really pl plan and expect that in the next decade? Yeah, that's a great word, Kimberly. I love hearing the word collaboration. And a lot of it has to do with the rise of the feminine, right? So whether it's femininity in and of ourselves as women or femininity, awareness of, of a different way of doing business in, in every good guy that we know, right? It doesn't just mean gender. It means looking at things from compassion, looking at things from empathy and looking at things with collaboration because we know that's the better way, right? We know that life is not a sum zero game. And what has sort of shocked the big companies that I work with right now is this idea that, and you said it so eloquently, but you know, every dollar I spend is a vote for the kind of world I want to live in. 
right? So it's not just, ooh, I really want that Pashmima. It's no, like, I want to buy one that is supporting a woman who's working from home or supporting um, someone from, you know, Black, Indigenous, uh, Hispanic, whatever. I want to make a difference. And so I'm going to use that dollar. And then we see, you know, how many influencers or bloggers we have is, um, if you want to buy from, you know, black entrepreneurs or people of color, you know, here's a gift guide, here's a list I put together, right? Or women who have come out of um, sexual trafficking, right? Or so women are gathering together around either causes or they're gathering around a, a you know, group of people that they want to bring forward. Or, I mean, how many have you seen towards, you know, let's get school lunches to kids and underprivileged. So, you know, these sort of causal collaborations as I'm calling it, right? So it, it might just be save Main Street, right? So 10 different shops are going to band together and they're going to put together a basket or they're going to put together a night or they're going to put together some sort of experience to allow us to feel joy, to have things that we want anyway, but to also support people who are out there doing, I think, what altruistically and, and authentically we all wish we were doing. Right. I mean, inside every single human being, I believe, is an entrepreneur waiting to happen. And whether it happens or not, you know, but we all have that dream like, oh, someday I'm going to. So we want to cheer on people who are authentically living their dreams, especially right now. So collaboration can take any sort of form, um, but it has to be wrapped around a cause and it has to be personified. Like, don't tell me here's a group of great women entrepreneurs. Who are they? What are they doing? Take me into your life. Like, you know, when you and I first started talking and you told me, you're, you know, you're pregnant with your second child. I'm like, oh my God, like I, of course, can empathize with that. I remember being pregnant with my second child or, you know, being an expat. I'm so curious about that, right? So exchange your story, you know, for my attention. That's all we're ever competing for, really, at the end of the day is attention. Um, welcome me into your life and I'll welcome you into mine. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Exchange your story for my attention. Cause that I see so many people on social media struggling. I've, I've, I've heard of so many clients are like, there's, you know, I'm fighting for everybody's attention. I feel like I'm constantly shouting and like, no one's paying attention to me. And I'm like, maybe it's because you're making it about you rather than what somebody else might value from what they see from you, from what from what your reflection and your testimony for possibility is. Because I believe that everybody's life is a testimony for what's possible. Mm -hmm. And as we're living this, this, this life and this example, is, is your example something that somebody won't actually wants to buy into? Mm -hmm. Or is your example something that they're like, you know, <laughs> I'm okay, I'm yeah, good. Well I mean, to that point, Kimberly, if, if you're a, a business person promising a, um, an individualized tailored plan or program, but there's nothing on my website that, that shows that I'm listening, that shows that I hear you, why would I believe that? You know, mm -hmm. I, I opened up the paper this morning or yesterday, and there was an ad and yes, I read an analog paper, but I'll explain later. Um, there was an ad for Yogi Tea, which I love, but it was this beautiful shot of, of a girl and she's on a bicycle, it's from the back. And it looks like she's riding through some sort of, I don't know, commune or whatever, but the, the, the sun is just rising. It's a really beautiful shot. And it said, what makes the perfect morning? We don't know. We're the part of so many amazing mornings, please share yours. And then we're gonna start publishing every day, like a story of someone's perfect morning. And I thought, oh my God. So they're not saying to you, your perfect morning starts with, you know, a cup of our perfect tea. They were like, wow, tell us about your perfect morning. And it like, I stopped and thought, I feel like I really want to know, right? That's a company worthy of my attention and thus my business. Mm -hmm. It was a call and response. Oh, this, that, and so how, how are you, especially with fortune 100 companies with these large companies training or consulting that into, <laughs> into these gigantic companies? Um, well, the wonderful, wonderful thing is they know that this is their time. And what I absolutely have, have been so touched by is the number of, of companies doing business with me right now and, and my business has completely ratcheted up 
because they are thoughtful, they are authentic, and they do want to understand, they do want to react and respond with compassion and empathy, and they also don't want to harm anyone or make mistakes. So whether it was this spring with Black Lives Matter, um, whether it was with the Me Too, and, and now the pandemic, the biggest concern I have had from all these companies is we don't want to hurt anyone. We don't want to make a misstep, right? We don't want to sound inauthentic or callous. Um, how do we do this in such a way that we really are offering a hand up? We really are, are listening and we really are using our product base um, to help people feel like they're doing good in the world. So it's, it's, it's an amazing moment where not, not one of these companies come in and said, oh, we need a little facelift. Like, how do we look better? You know, they're, they are very sincerely saying, we're not sure how to respond right now. Um, and in most cases, you know, I take them through sort of what's going on in the world. I take them through these big sort of like macro trend shifts, but I also immediately suggest that they install a board of directors of consumers of let's put together a group of 25 to 100 people who sort of comprise your average, if you will, consumer base. But let's get let's let's have people answering questions. Um, doing digital diaries, sending us a photograph every single day of their reality. Like, let's let's put your ear really to the ground, right? Let's listen to heartbeats instead of data points. And then let's respond from that. And it's, it's uh, I have been so um, authentically touched by, by the desire to do good right now. Um, it's real, and I think I think there is a real change that has happened in the world during this lockdown, um, and I think it's going to be a better place. My baby just flipped. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "Yes, baby, baby, yeah." You know, she's she's showing up at the right time, right? Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, I see this beautiful desire to to do good, and I would love for you to speak into some of the industries that you're seeing on the rise, yeah. like that are really going to just take off in a whole new way in this next decade, given this values-based economy and this localized economy. Sure. Um, hundred percent. So a, a couple areas will be, let's start with a, a, an obvious one, sustainability, right? Um, so sustainability is not new. We all know about, uh, this idea to be green and to do better, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we've all done our best part, you know, if you will. I think a lot of it went out the window during the pandemic where we all started ordering in and we couldn't bring bags places and all that sort of thing. But this is a line in the sand, right? And we're all aware how precious life has become, much more heightened awareness of it, right? So anyone in the world of helping people be green, right? Whether it's someone who comes to your house and gives you a report card with, with, I keep picturing like, you know, three levels of, you know, bronze, well, we'll change this out, you know, platinum, we'll change this out. But this idea of, I need help, I wanna do better in this way. So, you know, help me make the earth, you know, a better, safer place for my babies, for myself, whatever. So that whole sort of sustainability core is gonna be huge, right? From, from how we shop, you know, to how we live, to how we work, um, I think, that whole area is gonna really sort of uptick again. Um, I think anyone who does any sort of curation on this value front, right? So uh, I wanna say six or seven years ago, I remember reading an article that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, uh, when they were still married, had a uh, someone on their staff who was in charge of their personal philanthropy. Cause you know, um, and that person helped them, you know, sort of figure out who should they invest money with? You know, who should they trust? Who should they lend their names and support to? Well, people who are going to curate those sort of lists, um, earmark those sort of like shopping places, like you know, go to Aldi but don't go to Costco, or um, H and M might seem to have this closed loop thing, but you really want to go to Zara's. And anyone with H and M and Zara's, I'm making this up right now. But people who really help curate. How do we make sure that every dollar we spend is a vote in the right direction, is supporting a worthwhile cause? Um, now, that curation, the whole idea of curation, that's going to blow up. Like, if there's one thing that we've all learned from COVID, 
and from the pandemic is that we are in charge of way too many things in our lives, right? You know, from homeschooling our kids to meal prep, to health and wellness, to exercise, to it's like, you know, don't get me started on marriage counseling, right? Like we are our own businesses to doing all the things like at the same time. Exactly. So let's talk about your own business, right? Entrepreneurship is going to blow up. Like I'm already seeing it. The scales are tipping like crazy because everyone went, wait a minute. I'm home. I'm kind of running my own business anyway. I'm deciding what time I get up. I'm deciding how the work rolls out. I'm deciding who I'm showering for and who I'm not showering for. But I'm also, I'm, I've, I've started doing, whether it's crafting or cooking or exploring or taking classes, I'm feeding my own self and I'm discovering parts about myself that I want to bring to the entire world, right? But what's so amazing is we understand that we can't be experts at all the things. So coaches, health and wellness coaches, business coaches, um, how to set up a home office coaches. Everyone is looking for experts and masters, right? Not because they can't do these things because no one wants to waste time doing them poorly, right? So coaching, curation, entrepreneurship, blowing up. And to flip that, when I look at the big companies that I'm working with, as I said at the beginning, they're looking at these people. I need to connect with people who are boots on the ground, having real-time conversations every single day so I can get some of that. Is it, is it a, a coincidence that everyone from Estee Lauder to Revlon to L'Oreal is buying up these little D2C home makeup brands that, that have you know 25,000 followers, boom, right? Because they understand they know how to connect authentically and in real time with customers who relate to them and understand that. And we're gonna see this trend continue. So if anyone's got a hope and a dream right now, Please, please realize it and, and do it smartly, you know, do it wisely. There's so many programs available to you. There's so many great coaches out there from setting up your business to managing your money to, to, to how to calendar better. Um, now's the time. It's amazing. Amen. I heard uh, Peter Diamandis said that, I love Peter. Yes. <laughs> um, he said that more money is going to be made by more entrepreneurs in the next decade than has been made in the history of humanity. I absolutely and, and that is something that like any entrepreneur, any person with an idea, any person with a vision, any person with a dream, like right now, like now is the time. Any of my clients who are in health and wellness, I have oh. said like, you best double down on what you are doing. There is no better time than right now and oh, I just got I just got truth bumps because I'm like this, especially for health and wellness, because we have seen how precious our health is. And especially like in, in America, like you and I were discussing before the podcast on the differences between the Australian healthcare system and the American healthcare system. Like Americans gotta get their stuff together because there's no socialized healthcare. And so how do you how do you maximize on your health so you're not having to go to the doctor, so you're not having emergency visits, so you're not so you can be preventative because that's more more necessary for Americans at this moment than than ever, especially with so the rise of all the cases. Right. So if you look at and it's interesting because I, I believe history is a great teacher. So if you look at the recession, post-recession, the health and wellness sector blew up for exactly the reasons we're talking about. Um, people lost jobs and people were like, oh, I cannot afford not to take care of myself and my household, right? So vitamins, supplements, and, and a lot of the industry about self-care and wellness was very nascent. It was new. Like we didn't have goop yet, right? So this, this was all new territory, but the, the established businesses really, really blew up. And we're seeing the same thing happen right now, by the way. I work with quite a number of um, health and wellness companies. But here's the shift, and this is why you're exactly correct. So we used to have like a pie chart of things that were important to people's lives. And you remember this Tony Robbins had one, but the idea was like there's spirituality and there's community and there's family and da, da, da. And health and wellness was one of those sectors. Okay. There's a new diagram in town. Health and wellness sits in the middle. Sleep is an extension of health and wellness. Sexuality is an extension of health and wellness. Money is an extension of health and wellness. Self-care. If I don't care about myself, I don't allow money to come in, right? Health and wellness is now recognized. I mean, people sell mattresses, shoes, fragrances, home decor as emanations from health and wellness. 
So people know that this has become the nucleus of a life well lived. And if I don't bring someone in to say to me, oh, I'm going to give you a health and wellness checkup, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, holistically, and you have to make some adjustments if you want to manifest the things you want, if you want to have a life well lived. That is indeed the actual sweet spot of what's going to happen in the next one to two years. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest, fastest business. And then this idea of curation, whether it's you know helping me live a life um, by connecting me with the people that I want to meet, um, connecting me with the resources that I really, really want, helping me create some sort of funnel to touch the things, experiences, people, places, et cetera, that comprise a life that I define as a life well lived, right? Um, and we're desperately gonna be looking for any sort of retreats, uh, community summits, um, bring me together with people who share my thoughts. Um, that sort of small footprint communities is the, is the number one hunger I am getting from my clients. Like, I need to have a mastermind. I need to be in a group with, I need to have a one day retreat where, like there's an understanding that we can't constantly be, you know, juggling chainsaws and, and are supposed to have like big thoughts by the end of the day, right? It all goes back to starting with being quiet, um, being with like-minded, you know, people in a community and starting to build from there. Oh, I love, I love that. And, and just the idea of, people gathering together communally and locally and being able to have that that comfort and that that safe space of like-minded values again and the value of health and wellness being a value that is going holistically across the board into different industries mm -hmm. because i think i think more and more people are realizing that we're not these segmented like pie chart types of beings like we can't like and i've i've had so many of my clients had to shift that that perception where they're like, oh, well, my marriage isn't affecting my business progress and my productivity. I'm like, oh yeah, let's just see that marriage go downhill just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as, as soon as the communication goes, then suddenly it's like, why are things happening in my business? We're, we're holistic beings and trying to separate ourselves or our bodies or our businesses or our children or our responsibilities or our health outside of our, any, anything that we're doing that it's that's a it's a broken model and bring bringing it all in back into that holistic center of like what you are the common denominator of every single point in your life now take that thought that you just gave me and leapfrog it into a company okay so almost all the top companies i'm working with right now are bringing in someone who does exactly what you just said but not with individuals with their employee groups because there's a great piece in the wall street journal today that talked about how performance reviews aren't working anymore well duh like how am i ranking someone on a 48 point you know productivity scale when i know that they've got three kids underfoot you know, they, they're in charge of all the meals at their house. You know, their kids are Zoom learning. You know, people are super stressed right now. Someone might be sick. So all those things are going out the window. So companies, again, are reaching out to people who normally might be, you know, a life coach or a health and wellness specialist and saying, how do I care for the people in my own organization? How do we create a safe space um, for sharing? Um, for small mini masterminds, right? For localized footprints of people who can kind of go through these experiences together. How am I supposed to address them and treat them? Because I'm now realizing, you know, three years ago, one of the things companies kept asking me to do is help me encourage employees to bring their whole selves to work. Well, be careful what you ask for, right? Because <laughs> now you've got everyone's whole self is at work. Well, whoa, how do I honor that? How do I respect that? And how do I unpack that? Right? So there's so much of this sort of whole selfness that's happening on a corporate level um, that I'm not sure companies were necessarily prepared for. So anyone who can help these corporations understand people needs, understand the creation of culture, understand sort of empathetic listening and unpacking, right? Um, huge opportunities. And that could be tapping or yoga or sound baths or whatever. but. There's a really strong desire to make sure that the workplace echoes and mirrors what we're desiring as human beings coming out of this really scary experience. 
Mm, that, is, that is so powerful. And that is like gold right there for every, every person listening. Just how can you seize on that opportunity in and of itself? I get asked for references for that kind of work three times a day from my corporate counterparts where they, they understand that the, the tools that they have no longer work. It's like everyone sort of has a horse and a buggy in their garage and they're like, oh crap, everyone else, why? I think I need a Tesla, right? So it, they understand that they don't currently have the tools. And ultimately they will bring those resources in-house, you know, by the end of the next decade. For now they need the wayfinders, pathfinders, the experts, right? And you know this as well as I do, outside consultants are more objective and thus wield more power with someone who goes, oh, thank God, it's not someone from my company talking the talk. Like this is a real person who does this for a real living. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's powerful also in creating that safe environment to be able to fully yeah. express instead of fearing that it's going to be reflected back to the boss or, or in, yeah. in whatever way that it could be taken in the corporate culture. It, it creates a bit more safety to have it be someone from the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that that I'm being asked a lot about, and and I think is so interesting, I had a the the group I was on a uh, call with this morning, um, is this idea of any sort of objective co-creation activity, right? Whether it's it's doing art with someone or weaving with someone or um, planting a garden with someone, these sort of of outside the the scope of our business exercises that let people go through. A, a hands forward process um, that's outside of their work capabilities really connects and unites teams. Mm -hmm. And especially in this era right now where we're all Zooming, we're all digital, we're not together. If there's a practice, if there's something we're creating or building together um, outside of work, it unites us and connects us and gives us a different vocabulary. So I'm seeing a lot of that, like, you know, People are doing like a paper mache sculpture thing that's taking them over the course of six weeks, right? Or learning dance moves or a simple sort of painting. But anything that that gives some sort of physical synchronicity um, to teams outside of whatever their data points or Excel sheets or, or work that they have to do um, is, is really tremendously in demand right now. So another industry that you, you touched on, I remember from the masterclass that I just have to circle back to because I found it so interesting, was the concept and the industry of death. Yes. That, yes. Um, that is a shifting, pivoting market because we've talked about health, but what happens at the end of a life? Mm -hmm. And how are you seeing that industry specifically evolve and what, what, where's the possibility there? Yeah. So it's so interesting. This was something that I had started to write about before the pandemic, um, where younger millennials were like, why do I have to go to this like creepy old funeral parlor? And there's these weird traditions that have been handed down for centuries that are leaving me feeling um, uninspired and just sad. And then comes COVID, where people couldn't have funerals, right? Where people couldn't gather and have at least that sort of physical experience. So in, in, in that kind of vacuum of that shared moment where we might have an Irish wake and everyone might have five drinks and tell stories, right? In the absence of that, how do we, as opposed to grieve the death, how do we celebrate a life, right? So what does that mean? You know, is it, do, we, do we create beautiful keepsakes? Do we have a, a day of honor and joy and laughter with, with um, poems being written and songs being sung? Um, are trees planted? So what, how do we flip this script of sadness and grief and separation? And how do we make it about sort of unification and longevity and extension of and, and truths that we share, right? So there's an entire industry that, that is taking shape around celebrating a life. And part of what's really cool about it, at least I think it is really cool, is it's giving agency to all of us, right? How do we want our own life? And I would feel a lot better about sitting with you, Kimberly, if that was your job. And we're like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I want to create this like incredible like day of art and like, let's design this. And then I want everyone, as opposed to me sitting with a funeral director going, yeah, lilies would be nice, I think, or, you know, Daphne. Again. <laughs> right? So 
it gives me agency to think about legacy and to think about what I want to honor in myself, which also becomes aspirational, right? Like, what do I need to rise to, um, to meet that aspiration? But an entire industry is blowing up around how do we take this moment and, and make it joyful um, and make it beautiful, aesthetically beautiful, um, and give people a role and then give people a, a challenge or an action to take that's going to refract and reflect in their own you know, life and how they choose to move forward. So that has started to completely blow up here in the States, um, particularly in forward-leaning states like you know, Oregon, we're seeing a lot of it up there. Um, it's, it's just that kind of idea that like, how did we all get here? And this is a, a practice that should have been updated, you know, decades ago. Um, and now is the time, because again, there's a vacuum. And anytime there's a vacuum, it's a chance for us to step in and make it something that we want it to be, as opposed to just, you know, sort of being dragged along by that sort of inertia or the momentum of what had gone before. So it's a, it's a very exciting industry. Um, and I would strongly advise anyone who is excited about um, being part of these real pivotal moments in our lives, just like doulas or midwives, you know, they're called death doulas here in the States. Um, it's people who are ushering in beautifully, um, you know, that moment of passage, but in a way that's beautiful and cared for um, and loving and warm. So huge industry, huge industry. Wow. To wow. I've never heard, I like, I, I had a doula for my birth, but and I just, how powerful she was for my own transformation. It was my doula who actually gave me the best advice um, when I was in labor. She said, Kim, Declan is working just as hard to get to you as you are to get him out of you. And it was in that moment that I just said, oh my gosh, this little being is working just as hard. And this is his first experience, work hard. I've got 30 years on this skin of working hard. <laughs> Let me cheer it on. So yeah. ever, after that, my labor sped up like crazy. And I started just cheering on the contractions. I was like, come on, buddy, we got this. And it was like that, it, it literally transformed my, the, the process from being one of pain and, and struggle to being one of celebration. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine what bringing that experience of celebration into, into the passage of death, into, into this passage that we're, we're, we're taught is supposed to be sorrowful and mournful and and grieving versus what if it's what if it's just a passage and, and a celebration of of that beautiful life and and of what what was possible what what happened and and what the next transformation is and how to prepare for it right to, yeah right so can you imagine a death doula who you find out one of your parents is dying who walks you through the next six months of what to ask what to capture you know, what to celebrate. So when you do hit that, that time of passage, when you think of that parent, instead of that sort of hiccup of like, oh, I wonder how they are today. Instead, you get to revel in, ah, oh, their sense of humor or ah, oh, they love the color blue, right? So yeah. shifting that sort of process and taking you through that and helping you navigate that process. We do that with everything else. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's ah, that's such a beautiful just being able to have, like, again, it goes back to the, the coaches and consultants and, and doulas of the world, of people just recognizing that now is a time when, you know, when we need a little guidance, it's okay to ask for that. Like, we're not just this, like, Wonder Woman be all person who does everything and does everything majestically well. Like, we're, we're recognizing also our own humanity and our own agency and, and being able to, to, to navigate our own waters and bring in those people to support in the areas where we may be feeling weak or vulnerable or in need of a bit of assistance or a, a, a leg up. Think of any transition, right? None of us transition well. I mean, we say, oh, my child doesn't transition well. None of us transition well. Like it, it's human nature. We create little patterns for ourselves so that we can survive. But you know, one thing that we're seeing a big exponential leap of here in the States, which I know that you have in Australia, is a gap year. Gap year, huge. All of a sudden I was going, well, I don't even know if my kid's going to school next year. What would a gap year look like? There's an entire cottage industry happening right now about what do you do with a 17, 18, 19-year-old that gives them resilience, right? That gives them curiosity, that makes them feel like they can take on the world 
whether they end up in school after that gap year, right? Or whether they end up being, becoming an entrepreneur. So who's helping define that sort of non-existing curriculum? What should it be? Should they work on a sheep farm? Um, should they climb mountains? Should they work in a kitchen? Should they be an apprentice at a, at a fashion salon? I don't know, but there is a huge demand right now for help me design these transitional segments, right? Just like you as a new mom might like look for a mommy coach, right? Or if all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I need to start taking care of my health. I'll look for a fitness trainer. Well, let me have someone come in and help me design a, a, a year long curriculum for someone who's going to go through that sort of transition, right? Or if I'm gonna transition from being a corporate executive to starting my own business, transitions, transitional, transitional coaching is going to be huge. Because like you said, we're realizing we're not experts in all things, nor should we be. I have a business manager for a reason. He's not better at this stuff than me. I happily give him that money. So I'm freed up to do the work that I know I'm here to do. Yeah. Oh, and I would love for you to speak in just for a moment to your story of going from a corporate executive <laughs> into owning a business and working with Fortune 100 companies. Because when you told me that story, I was just in awe, even more so of, of you and the work that you do in this world. So messy. Um, but I guess all transitions are messy, right? One's yeah. worth having. Um, so as you know, uh, I was a studio executive. I was a senior vice president of marketing at Paramount Pictures. And so I handled all the marketing for um, our television division. And um, I realized I was not doing the right work. Uh, I was, I think, crying every day on your way to work. I don't know, that might be an indicator, maybe. And I had young children at home, and it was tearing me up. Um, the, the, the value of my work wasn't worth the value of, of what I didn't feel like I had at home. And I'm a Virgo. I'm a girl with a plan. I have a plan. Everything. Yep. I plan for everything. I do not do things unplanned. And yet the, my sole sort of calling for me to leave this work was getting louder and louder and louder. So I quit my job um, without a plan. And I refer to this as the power of no. You know, we're taught to follow our bliss. We're taught to, we're, we're supposed to wake up one day with this like burning understanding of what it is we're called to do. And I think unless you're like a priest or a doctor, that doesn't typically happen, right? We just sort of have to keep moving towards warmth and away from cold. So I didn't have a yes, Kimberly, but I had a no. And I listened to that no. I, I, I took a leap and said, that no is so compelling. I have to move away from it. Um, so I drove off a lot crying because I didn't have a plan. Uh, and I got home and I cried because I didn't have a plan. And then six weeks later, I got a call from the studio asking me to come back in, talk to the president of the studio, Frank Kelly. And um, I don't know if I told you this part, but uh, the one thing I had been given a very generous office allowance for decorating my office, um, which I spent all on art because it's what I do. And they told me I could take the art with me. And I swear to God, I thought, oh my God, like, they, they think I stole the pictures. Like, this is why they're calling me back. It's like, I'm in trouble for, for uh, stealing the picture. So um, after a brief stop to buy a really kick-ass pair of boots, because you always need boots if you have an important meeting, um, I got to the studio and found out that what they were actually offering me was a three-year consulting contract to do the exact same job I was doing at the exact same salary, but never having to set foot on the lot again. I, I couldn't have dreamed this job up. I never would have even thought to ask. I didn't even know such a thing existed. But basically, you're like, we need you. We kind of get the idea y'all don't want to come here. So what if we set you up at home and put your computers in and you could have an assistant on the lot. You just have to call her. Um, but could you do the work that you were doing? Uh, and I said, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> uh, and three years later, they renewed my contract. And I said, but can I have other clients? And they said, sure. And then I started to pivot to create uh, the work that I do. So I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I never dreamt of this project I was going to take on. Um, but because I had the courage to stand up and hear my soul, because I had the courage to listen to that, that no, um, all the world, I'm going to start to cry. But so much has been given to me. And I get to do work on a level I never imagined possible. Um, so take the leap. You know, ride the pony. Uh, jump off that that diving board it's all there and the only thing that ever holds us back is our fears um, always and that 
that's something that I, like with the trend of what you said of, of personal agency and ownership, the people that that's actually a trend that you're, you're seeing is things are requiring us to take more agency of them. And then also recognizing where our agency starts and where it ends as well. And how far we can go till we say that that's a hard and fast no. And how is this, this ability to discern agency and the power of us taking ownership, how are you seeing that play out industry-wide and in, in other industries that are looking at needing a lot of change like the medical industry and the education industry? Oh my goodness, you know, take the education industry, for example, that's a, that's a fantastic one. And, and first I wanna address one thing about all of this, Kimberly, is that, you know, we used to get, and, and I'm older than you, we used to get brownie points for being these martyrs, right? Like, you know, oh, you know, I, I worked, you know, 21 hours a week. And I, I have a great quote about that. Um, there's a young woman I know who interviewed for a, a big law, law firm position about two years ago. And one of the partners said, oh, I built 90 hours last week. And she said, wow, you're not very smart, are you? Ah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, you know, bad answer. But she's like, but he's not like, who wants to work 90 hours a week? That doesn't seem really, that, that's not a quality life. Nah, you know? I mean, I'm of the generation where we were fighting for work-life balance. And today's, you know, 40 and under person says, it's, a, it's my life. What is this balance you're talking about? It's one life, right? So this idea of sort of burning the candle at both ends or, or being a martyr and trying to juggle it all, you don't get brownie points for that anymore. God bless. So this idea of finding someone who can help me, whether it's organizing my closet, organizing my life, helping me transition to a new career, um, people are realizing that that's actually smarter, faster, and better. You know, it's a shortcut. Do you want to work 90 hours or do you want to work 30 smart, right? So this idea of agency, this idea of looking for those experts, this idea of saying, someone help me do this, um, that's fantastic. You know, DIY, do it yourself. You know, that was Gen X. The, the, the code for today's generation is do it with me. D-I-W-M, do it with me. Okay, show me your ways, teach me the ropes. Eventually I'll fly solo, but, but do this with me. Um, and I think it's so healthy and so amazing. So I just wanna say that's a really big trend. Don't, don't worry that you're offering some sort of, oh, now I have to like create this industry. The industry's creative, right? You just have to show up in a way that adds meaning and value to someone's life. So when we look at medical wellness or whether we're looking at teaching um, and education in school, we're realizing that one size does not fit all for anyone, right? Finally. <laughs> yes. Finally. Amen. Amen. <laughs> From, you know, how I choose to live my life to what my genetic background is, you know, this idea of super me has become really, really powerful. Meaning I know that if I can sort of click all the individual tumblers on, on my own, like if I'm a safe deposit box, if I can open all those things up and fire on all cylinders, like that's amazing, but it's unique to me. So I wanna work with someone who's gonna help me learn my best, or if it's for my kid, maybe he's a kinetic learner, maybe he's an audio learner. Maybe it's not even about learning. Maybe this is a kid that needs to spend five hours a day riding a bike because he daydreams and that's where his, his biggest best self comes from, right? So we really understand that there's really customizable individual paths and we want to understand all of them. I mean, it's the reason we've all taken BuzzFeed quizzes for as long as we can remember. Like, tell me who I am. We all believe that there's a magical me on the other side of that quiz, on the other side of that test, on the other side of that, that coach or agent who's going to help me, right? So again, whether it's the health and wellness of myself, of my family, or of my, my, my business, my corporation, um, that's something that I want to do. You know, I worked with a, a company that has a, a stock valuation right now of over a billion dollars. Um, and they brought in a whole team of experts to work on individual value assessment for every person at that company. And then we, we ended up sort of town hauling all of that to create the values of the entire corporation. And so that was representative of every single person, individual thought. So people who are going to 
um, be doulas, right? Be the midwives of, of all these changes um, and, and things we want to accomplish in our lives. You know, that's the big work. Medical wellness, I would say, oh my God, you know, sustainability, medical wellness, um, self-education. You know, we're seeing a massive growth and we all see masterclass and uh, LinkedIn courses and Coursera and all this kind of stuff. The, the desire to educate ourselves and equip ourselves with life skills right now, I've never seen anything like this in my life. It is going to be the, one of the biggest contributing industries over the next decade. The, the idea of self-education, massive. And I feel like I've been talking nonstop for 10 minutes, so I will, I will oh, stop. Oh, and I, I, I love it. I'm like, I'm, all of it up, and I'm like, this is so juicy. It's so good. Like, I love every bit of it. I could listen to you for hours because mm -hmm. it's like, it, the the education and and I love that you've spoken into the different types of learning that we're finally realizing that like not all students thrive under the same style of learning. I'm a very much uh, an on the job learner, mm -hmm. and that was that was why I didn't end up going to college because I knew that I just didn't thrive in a classroom environment. That that's not where I learned best, and when I can learn on the job, I learn so much faster and I can implement so much faster so that things get done faster. So, but that's, but that's my style. Like I have other friends who went to college and they went to graduate school and that's their learning style and they're thriving now doing, doing what they love. Mm -hmm. And, but it's because they followed their path and, and this one size fits all approach that's kind of been, been the past and how it's been going down is, is, I love the fact that that is shifting and morphing and changing. And we're seeing that in, in all forms and, and in people seeking that guidance and in people seeking from, from the individual small businesses to, to big businesses, seeking that, that values alignment of like, what really works for me personally as, as a human, mm -hmm. rather than like, what, how do, rather than trying to fit ourselves into some other person's mold or some systems mold of what should be mm -hmm. being able to adapt, like being able to, make make our own mold and and have that and have that fit us perfectly exactly as as we are and mm -hmm. exactly and uniquely and as beautifully as we're all built mm -hmm. oh lynn i have loved our conversation so much i feel so, like we can talk for hours yes so i would love to wrap this up with a little bit of rapid fire if you are ready Whoops. Oh my God. I didn't know, but sure. Let's give it, let's give it a shot. I'll try to answer correctly. <laughs> yeah, there's no right or wrong. And I tend to go off on rapid fire anyways. So it doesn't even have to be that rapid. So first question, who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh my goodness. Um, Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables never lost her optimism. Uh, and her awe and wonder at, at the possibilities of life, uh, despite everything that was handed to her, there was such a pluckiness and a joy. And I really try and apply that uh, to everything. I love that. That was that was my favorite book. That was why I added an E to my middle name. <laughs> I loved her, loved her. Who, what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Oh my gosh. Um, Oh, I thought of something sort of evil, but I, 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 uh, I won't do that. Um, I know who I would like, uh, Jax, who is the prime minister of New Zealand. Um, this is someone who has done such an incredible, masterful job at bringing a country together safely. Um, I would love to see what that feels like and, and sort of get feedback on what worked and what didn't work, just as a deep dive learning experience. Um, I think she's just done such an incredible job on every single level. Yeah, one of my favorite things is because I get the Australian news here. I don't really watch the news, but when I'm at the gym, I catch it. And I saw that her husband had basically gone out and hunted and, and caught some animals and cooked them for the news reporters that were standing out her side. And, and the commentators were like, could this ever be done in America? And I was like, well, vegans might not totally approve of that. And there'd be protest but, somewhere. Yeah, but it, it was just, it was such an interesting, just cultural difference of, you know, how small New Zealand is compared to like with how big New Zealand is, but how effective the her leadership has been and how, in, how beautiful her husband was supporting her as well. 
the clarity, and, and that to me is, I think, certainly what what so many politicians who, who are constantly sort of pulse taking, and you know, I I, I have a little saying um, when I mentor people. People really want to be led, and I mean that in the best way possible. People want a, what clarity of purpose and path, and when you can deliver that to them without flinching, without kind of trying to get feedback while you're saying it, when you say something with confidence and clarity, that clearness inspires confidence and gives people the courage to transfer their trust to you, which they really want to do in the first place, right? So I think she has done that so masterfully at such a young age. Um, and I would love to see what that, what that feels like and what that feedback is um, and what those, those programs were um, so that I could learn from them. Yeah. If you were to have your success at twice the speed, how would you have done it differently? Oh my gosh. I would have taken such bigger risks at, at a much earlier age. Um, you know, Carl Jung always has said that uh, the only uh, bars, you know, that we rail against are really on one side of our boxes. Right. And I am, I so remember moments in my, in my career, I thought, oh, but I have this big mortgage and my husband's not working and I've got, I've got these little kids, I can't take that risk, right? And when I finally listened to you know, the power of my no and turned around, there was nothing but doors and I just didn't let myself see them. So yeah, I would have taken massive risks in my 20s. I would have jumped out all those windows without a parachute. I would have just trusted in the universe to support me because it never has not. Um, it's not all on our shoulders. And it's so silly and small to think that it is, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And especially even when I feel like the world is on my shoulders, I allow myself to just think of how many, how often the universe has supported me every, through every decision that I have, I have made and through everything that somebody, like every choice that I've made that someone said was risky, every choice that I've made that someone said was foolish and looked at like just even coming here and choosing to stay in Australia, that like that decision alone was so supported and my business was able to double and, and our profit margin was able to double and like being able to have these amazing accomplishments that I don't think would have happened had I gone back to that safety and comfortability of, of where, where I was because, and it's because of losing those bars of, of, of just turning around and seeing all those doors. I mean, if I was to make a graph for you right now of where the biggest successes happened in my career, um, every single peak, was something relatively crazy that I did, where someone I said, oh, I, you know, I created this, I think it's gonna work, or I just, my favorite is, I sold this product that I haven't made yet. Um, cool, right? And they're like, are you out of your mind? You can't do that. I'm like, I can't. But therein were my biggest successes. So the time I made the biggest leap my business jumped ahead, you know, five or six years, quantum leaps yeah. um, when I took the craziest chances. So uh, yes, I would have done a lot more of that um, at a younger age. So what do you define to be your kingdom? Ooh, I like that word. Um, everything for sure. Uh, there isn't a single corporation, community or individual that doesn't benefit from a deeper, richer understanding of empathy. You know, every single human being has a story. Every, I don't care how young, pretty, or rich you are. Every single person has been brought to their knees by something, has sat in the middle of the night and wondered how they were gonna get through that sort of lonely night of the soul. Every single human being has a story. And, and the sooner we understand that and sooner we connect with those stories um, and understand that the fragility and sacredness of all of our individual experiences um, the faster and better will develop really as a species. So, so I feel like my work is, is working with anyone who wants to decode those truths or translate those truths of the heart uh, into their work. So there's really sort of no limit. Ah, oh, that is beautiful of translating the codes into the heart mm -hmm. that, ah, oh, I love that. My, my, I, as, as a woman of similar purpose, like my purpose has always been to transform people's stories. And mm -hmm. so seeing those stories of what's possible, of seeing, of seeing possibility and potential when people don't even see that belief as even being reasonable, because mm -hmm. what is reasonable anyways. Mm -hmm. 
So lastly, Lynn, how do you crown yourself? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm not 100% sure what uh, the right answer for that is. Um, There's no right or wrong answer. Yes. Yes. I will give you one thought that I have given to my daughter that someone gave to me many years ago and I'm so glad I did it. Um, Make a file. And I have done this. So you make a file on your computer, on your phone, whatever. Anytime someone says anything positive about work that you've done or, or that you've done as a human being, right? So whether it's a card someone sends you, whether it's a note a client sends you, um, I call it my add a girl file, but I have this file. And on those days where you question the contribution you're making, if you're giving enough or if you're doing enough, I open that file and I'm always brought to tears uh, by what's there. So your worth isn't imaginary, your worth isn't fleeting, um, but sometimes you have to go into that little, you know, sort of chamber of soul secrets and, and kind of roll around in it a little bit. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's the strongest source of inspiration and courage um, that I have. So collect those things, don't let them be ephemeral or fleeting. Um, I know you're supposed to go buy a Prada bag or something when you have a success, but I, I find capturing those moments as they're handed to me, as they're gifted to me, um, that's, that's where I reignite my soul. Oh, I'm totally starting a file in true Virgo fashion. <laughs> it's, it's, I literally, I think I was 23 when someone told me to do that. And uh, um, it is just, it's just a cavern of, of such riches and, and it gives you the courage to get up again and go out there and, you know, fight the good fight. That is beautiful. Lynn, I know that there are several listeners on this podcast who would love to work with you, to chat with you, to learn more about the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. to learn about the trends that you have the this ability and this future site to be able to predict. So where can we find you? How do we work oh, with you? Thank you for asking. Um, so my website is shinescout.com, www.shinescout.com. Um, you can reach me at lynn at shinescout.com. And I also have a newsletter that goes out every two weeks. Uh, it's called The Scout Look. Uh, and I talk about the human condition. And then I earmark about a dozen trends uh, every other week that I think are worth paying attention to. So any of those resources. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Lynn. I highly recommend you get on that list and you watch these trends that are happening because this... Uh, one of my favorite parts and why I wanted to bring Lynn onto this podcast is the vision, because when you can combat that fear with the vision that you have and the vision of possibility and the vision of what, what not only your potential is, but what is happening in humanity right now, it, A, it prevents against feeling so lonely and isolated in, in doing the work and getting there, but it also allows you to have, to, to cultivate and, and see the possibility that is in your future. So I highly, highly recommend you get on that list and you start working with Lynn. And as always, my fellow princess in the beers, own your throne, mind your business because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.